Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shi. And this is Jill Wine Banks. And today's Jill's pins are two because I have one that is the Fox logo saying faux news and one that says hashtag me too for the me too movement, which is very relevant to our discussion today with our guest. As we've discussed many times on this show, the truth matters and news organizations play a critical role in exposing and communicating truth in our democracy. But as we saw through the latest Dominion lawsuit against Fox, we have far right news organizations that place politics above facts and pleasing Donald Trump above giving their audience the truth and respect. While Dominion did not land a blow to Fox and while Tucker Carlson is out of the network, we still wonder if Fox will ever change and what it will take to change Fox. We also want to know what we can and should expect from the pending Smartmatic lawsuit against the network and from Abby Grossberg's lawsuit. Joining us to discuss all of those issues is Gretchen Carlson, no relation to Tucker. Um, She was, of course, an anchor at Fox for a long time, and she brings that unique perspective because she was inside the network for over a decade until she filed suit against Fox for sexual misconduct. Gretchen started at CBS and then joined Fox in 2005 as host of Fox and Friends. In 2013, she began hosting her own show, The Real Story with Gretchen Carlson, until 2016 when she filed that lawsuit against Roger Ailes. Ever since, she has been advocating not only for safer workplaces for women, but against NDAs and against sexual harassment and assault, And we're going to cover all of that. Gretchen, it is great to have you with us. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. So we want to start by talking about the Dominion. Oh, oh, I guess. Go ahead. Go, Go, Victor. Okay. So we want to to start by talking about the Dominion and Smartmatic lawsuits that address the fake news and lies of Fox for conduct long after your departure. Now that we're a month after the verdict, do you think the Dominion lawsuit will change the honesty of Fox reporting at all? Uh, that remains to be seen when we see the next election cycle and how that's handled at, at Fox. I mean, I think that that will really be the telltale sign. Um, you know, I, I, I had written an op-ed after the Dominion suit was settled saying that it's, it's my belief that unless they really clear house at Fox, including the executives who knew about the lies that they were telling, um, then there really won't be change at, at Fox because you know, what they can do is just put another person in those time slots, like for Tucker Carlson's show, and it doesn't really matter who it is, as long as they say what the audience, I guess, wants to hear, then they'll become popular too. Um, I used to always say that, that it, it really didn't matter who you put in any of those chairs, which wasn't good for job longevity, <laughs> but it, it, it really it really didn't because, um, you know, as long as you were feeding the beast, Uh, with the information um, that people wanted to hear, that was pretty much all that mattered. And let me be very clear, that has even changed much more dramatically since I left almost seven years ago. I mean, it's totally become a different environment and a different place of work. As I always say, there's a huge difference between opinion television regarding politics and telling lies. And that is when it you know, really went off the cliff um, in the Donald Trump era. And you blame that on Donald Trump or on the leadership at Fox? You said no. that it, we'd have to get rid of everybody who allowed the lies. Um, talk more about that. Yeah, well, they knew, you know, I, I think the most damning thing about the Dominion lawsuit is that there were depositions of the top executives. And, you know, look, I took my LSATs. I wanted to be a lawyer. I got (laughs) sidetracked and ended up doing TV. But with all the stuff I've been through in my life in the last seven years, I feel like I'm like a half lawyer. And one thing I've learned from my lawyers is you never let the principal people get to depositions because, you know, they're going to have to be in an environment ostensibly where they have to tell the truth. And, you know, after after the case settled, I think the CEO of Dominion said just that, that, Um, most of the information had already been exposed about what the case was all about in these depositions. The only thing that we didn't really get to see were these hosts and these top-level executives under oath answering questions, which would have been great theater. But I think that we we saw the facts of what actually happened. And I was stunned that Fox allowed their 
executives to get to that point and their hosts to to give depositions. So in my mind, it must have been that Dominion was refusing to settle um, and that that's why, you know, the case kept kept moving forward. Right. Although it is also possible that Fox was just arrogant enough to think that they could get away with what they've been getting away with, which is lying to their audience, feeding them the false information that makes their audience happy and that keeps their audience large. I, at first, I thought we could maybe take some comfort from them firing Tucker Carlson. I'm not sure anymore. What do you think? Is there any comfort in that? You know, uh, well... I don't watch Fox anymore, so I don't really know anything about it. Um, I wouldn't say there's really any comfort in it for what I said earlier, that so many other people knew that they were telling the American people lies, which I believe was a disservice to our democracy. Um, yeah. But uh, unless another shoe drops or, or several, I don't think that there will really be any change there. What I did say about Tucker Carlson, and I still pretty much agree with my first assessment, is that his firing may have had more to do with the Abby Grossberg revelations than actually the Dominion case. Because one of the things that Fox News has said since I blew the lid off the place seven years ago was that they've changed. That they've changed with regard to how they treat women, with how they treat uh, people of color, the LGBTQ plus community, um, that they don't, you know, they don't allow uh, sexual misconduct to to happen there anymore. Um, and so then you have Abby Grossberg's revelations, right, and all of her tape recordings. And so you wonder, like, what will that case do to Fox if they said that they have changed? And so I believe that those allegations actually may have superseded the Dominion allegations. Um, it's just my personal point of view after living it there, um, but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. And I don't really expect any other firings now that more than a month has passed. Well, we will Very get to the Abby Grossberg, but I think Victor had a, another question still about Dominion. Well, I, I just as you know, I mean, Fox still faces a similar lawsuit by Smartmatic, which is seeking even more damages than Dominion. And I think I had read that you hope that Dominion wouldn't settle its lawsuit, but it did. I, I'm wondering, do you hope that Smartmatic, Smartmatic will do differently and, and not settle? Yeah, originally I didn't want Dominion to settle um, because I wanted all of the truth to come out. But then when I, like I said, when I heard the CEO say that most of the revelations had already come out anyway, um, then I was I was okay with with the process. Um, Smartmatic, look, they were given a gold mine by the Dominion case being first, because now they've been able to see number one how much how much money Fox had to pay, right? So there's no way they're going to settle for anything less than that. Um, and and maybe they get even more as a result uh, because this case would be even more of a blow to Fox than the first one was. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, they could possibly get more money. They could possibly put in provisions in any kind of a settlement document that other people would have to leave the network. Um, they might actually finally get an apology, which um, I'm glad to point out that in my resolution with Fox, I did get a public apology. Mm -hmm. Dominion did not get that. Uh, that was something that was incredibly important to me. And by the way, it's all any survivor ever wants is an apology, and most people never, ever get it. So I do hope that Smartmatic, at the very least, um, gets, gets an apology, and I think that they'll probably get a lot more. You know, it's interesting, as a lawyer, I can assure you that I, well, as a person, as a listener, as a viewer, as a citizen, I wanted an apology. I wanted Fox to have to say on air to its listeners, we lied to you, we knew we were lying, but I have to tell you as a lawyer that there's no way that the law allows for that. Monetary damages is what you get in a defamation case. And you don't get that kind of apology um, except in a settlement. And I can imagine that there's no way that Fox would ever agree to admit that it had lied. Um, Although I'm, I'm happy here. to hear about your settlement. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, that's a really good point, Jill, but on the air, they wouldn't want to admit that they lied. They did in depositions for all practical purposes. But here's my thought on what you just said, Jill, is that because 
American television cable viewers have become so siloed over the last five to 10 years, I don't think it would have mattered if they gave a public apology. I mean, for all the other press on the outside, it would have been a big, huge story. But quite honestly, I don't think many of the viewers would even believe the apology. Because they would say, look, you know, after the whole Trump era, where the whole fake news situation, we then morphed into, even when things were true, as long as we called it fake, it was fake. Even when things were on videotape, they were fake and made up. And so we're in this whole new era of people believing whatever they want to believe and not believing the truth. So I believe that if, if Fox had even put out that apology for 10 seconds on the air on a 24-hour news cycle, I don't think it would have mattered. So that's my point of view on that. No, it's, it's unfortunately, I think you're probably right. And it's a very sad and pathetic commentary on who their listeners are and what they are willing to accept and what they reject as fact. They don't believe what is clearly evidentiary level proof of the lies and of the fact that the election wasn't stolen and that Smartmatic and Dominion had nothing to do with flipping votes. But that's what Trump supporters believe. And that's who the Fox viewers are. Um, and it's not I've just been election, impressed by how much money Fox makes on an annual basis. And I'm just wondering if there is any level of financial compensation to defamed people that might have an impact on their profitability and that would change their behavior. Do you think there's any amount of money that could change their behavior? Well, $787 million is a lot of money. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think when I was at Fox, I think they were making a billion dollars a year. Right. Um, and so I don't know if that's more or less now. So, you know, look, that, that's, that's a huge chunk of change even to them. I think where, where those payouts really start to hurt is with investors. And, you know, yeah. and people who are on the board there, I, I'm surprised there's still people on that board for based on all the sexual misconduct problems and all the payouts that were happening in secret to, you know, to scores of women. Um, Eventually, it comes down to a fiduciary responsibility of board members where I think there's too much risk. Um, you would think that board members, even if they were um, conservative leaning, that, that they would say what I said earlier, which is there's a difference between conservative leaning and telling lies. And I wouldn't want to be on a board. You know, I wouldn't want to have the fiduciary responsibility of being a board member in that kind of uh, in that kind of situation. So, you know, look, I think the biggest the biggest question too and the elephant in the room is what happens to Fox when Rupert Murdoch dies and what or if he steps down at any point because you know even the two sons have really changed who they are since my lawsuit over a course of seven years they were they were pretty much together in thinking about my lawsuit but now they're split completely and James has left the organization so that's going to be a huge you know a huge question mark in the future too. That is fascinating. And I want to follow up on, on the audience um, point that you made earlier, because I, I think right now, I mean, it depresses me that, like you said, that their viewers probably won't listen to anything that Fox tells them in the realm of truth. But how has the audience changed over the years, if you have any sense of that, from when you were there to now? Um, who are the type of people who now listen to and tune into Fox? Well, I have no idea, because I'm not, I'm not paying attention to who the viewers are. I mean, I'm not looking at the ratings anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm not paying attention to it on a day-to-day -day basis, but I think generally speaking, if I looked at it from the outside, um, I, th I think that the messaging on Fox has been damaging more so than just on, on January 6th or the election. You know, I think, think other things have also, um, you know, they, they promulgated a lot of Trump's mistruths as well, right, about just anything. So I think it was like this shift away from conservative leaning news to um, to really just tell, you know, feeding off of what Trump was saying, a lot of which was not true. 
And then that led us to the election situation and that led us to January 6th. And I think the more that people kept watching Fox and getting sucked into these stories and conspiracies, the, you know, the more the tougher it is to remove themselves from that and go back to what Fox used to talk about 10 years ago. If I'm making sense about I think it's much greater than just January 6th or the election mistruths. Yep. And do you think See, that makes a lot of sense? It, it does. Let's let's move from the fake news aspect of of this discussion to the sexual uh, misconduct accusations, which go beyond Fox News and are pretty rampant in the workplace. And you've been very involved in trying to change that pattern, but. Um, and I know under your non-disclosure agreement that you have some limits on what you can share with us about what happened to you. Um, but I know there's some things that you could tell us about what led you to bring the lawsuit, what, what you weighed in making the decision that could end your career um, by coming forward against Fox News. So talk a little bit about your lawsuit against Fox News, and then we'll go to to um, Abby Grossberg's. Yeah. So, uh, you know, technically what really made me decide to jump off the cliff, the, the final thing was that they fired me. You know, they, they ostensibly took away a career that I had killed myself for after 25 plus years. You know, you mentioned I worked at CBS News for five years before Fox, but before then <laughs> I worked in a whole bunch of local markets and I, you know, I did it the old fashioned way coming up. I started making like $16,000 a year out of college, graduating from Stanford and Oxford, you know? So it was a lot of tremendous hard work. I was in Richmond, Virginia, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Dallas, then New York city. Um, and so for, for, for me having my career taken away from me, for absolutely nothing that I did, except not acquiesce, um, you know, that was the final push over the ledge for me. But I often say that building that kind of courage to come forward, you have to remember this was 15 months before the Me Too movement. This was 15 months before the Harvey Weinstein allegations. You know, I literally felt like myself out there. And it, takes a long time to build the kind of courage that I needed to be able to come forward. So I would say, you know, I would look at it in years, not just in months. And then a couple other things happened where um, I'm still blessed to have my parents in my life. And, you know, no matter how old we get, we want to have our parental approval. Um, and my parents, I grew up in Minnesota where people are really, really nice to each other and they don't sue a lot of people. And my parents, were, you know, my parents weren't really on board with me filing a lawsuit, but then about six months before I did, they, they finally had a very emotional phone call with them. And they finally realized that it was probably the only thing that I could do. And so that was really important to me. And then I wanted to make sure my children would be okay. They were, uh, they were preteens at the time and I didn't want them to be made fun of at school. And, you know, that was probably the biggest risk other than for my own safety was um was my children and then i just then i just jumped like i had no idea what was going to happen the next minute and you know life works in mysterious ways i've often said that about my life like i never thought i was going to become a poster child for sexual misconduct in the workplace nobody aspires to put that on their resume but i've made the most of it you know and and one thing that has been the through line in my life is a tremendous hard worker and I never, ever give up. And so I started hearing from all of these women and I realized, oh, my gosh, this is an epidemic in America still, you know, mm -hmm. that, that women are being mistreated every single day and pushed out of the workforce. And I realized the second epidemic was that companies were using these silencing mechanisms like NDAs to make sure that nobody ever knew about it. And that's how we fooled the American public to think that we had come a lot farther for women than we actually have, because all these cases were going to secrecy in something called forced arbitration. And also then you were forced to sign an NDA. And so that's really when I started my advocacy work and started walking the halls of Congress to, to change the laws. Um, and so back to your question about what I can talk about, I unfortunately signed an NDA in my resolution, having no idea that I would be a catalyst for massive international change on these issues. And that a short time later, I would be helping to pass bipartisan legislation to get rid of NDAs. Like, yeah. I mean, how, how would I have ever known that? 
And so for me, I focused, as I said earlier, on getting the public apology. And we carved out, you'll appreciate this, Jill, as a lawyer, we carved out the opportunity for me to discuss these issues prominently, not the details about my case, but the issues at all. And, and that was a huge victory for me because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to be doing all this lobbying on Capitol Hill. And so, um, you know, look, I passed two bipartisan bills last year alone, one to get rid of forced arbitration for sexual misconduct in the workplace, the other to get rid of pre-dispute NDAs. In a matter of eight months, we passed two of the biggest labor laws in a hundred years. So I, I chuckle because I can't even believe that we got a bipartisan coalition together to do to do this. But, you know, huge, huge accomplishment. And I just pay tribute to all the women and men who have been silenced before me and, um, you know, who, who I hope can feel a sense of victory through the work that I'm doing. Let me just say that many years before this all happened, long before there was even a woman's movement, and I was subject to sexual discrimination. It's even before there was sexual assault or sexual harassment other than sexism, which I consider slightly different. I played the role of a lawyer advising women who were subject to sexual discrimination. And as a result of playing that role is for a TV um, show uh, with Ron Howard directing it. Hmm. And I then got a lot of phone calls at my law firm uh, for women who wanted to be represented, who honestly could not afford Jenner and Block's fees. And in almost every case, I would do it pro bono, talking to them and saying, here's what you have to weigh in deciding whether you're going to do anything about it. You will lose your job. You will find it hard to find another job because you will be considered toxic by other people. And it really it was in the early days, you know, as I say, certainly before Me Too, certainly before really a woman's movement. And I felt awful advising people of that, but it was the reality. And it's one that even many years later that you faced, it was very hard to bring these things forward. And now thank you for doing what you're doing to change the landscape that might allow other people to know what they're getting into, to realize that they are not alone. That's one of the problems with these NDAs is everybody thinks they're the only one and right. they don't realize that there's a lot of people out there that are going through the same thing. And that's something that I just have to say, thank you for speaking up and speaking out and being involved in passing legislation. Um, it's, it's what we need in this country. And we should probably move to the Abby Grossberg because that's sort of the most recent example of what's happening in the workplace. When I graduated and only 4% of all lawyers were women, okay, you could sort of understand how women were treated. Now women are half of the law practice. Why are we still treated that way? Why, yeah. I ended up going to law school because when I graduated from Jern School, women were offered, well, first of all, we were called girls, and then we were offered jobs on the woman's page. And I was interested in hard news. So I went to law school to create a better background that maybe an editor would take me seriously. And it's still happening now. It's still going on. There is still discrimination. And that just distresses me enormously. And you see something like Abby's lawsuit and you know that it's happening. So yeah. can we sort of move to talking about her, her lawsuit and what you think it means? Yeah, yeah. And let me just say more globally that you know, the way that we work to try and fix these issues, what I've learned is, um, is that actually, Victor, men are a huge part of this equation. Yes. yes. You know, and, and, and teaching our young boys from an early age how to respect women and not call them girls and not make derogatory comments about them and not, uh, you know, that that has been the one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that boys form their opinions about women early on. And it's really tough to change them later on. But for example, in our country, we should have we should have a law where companies have to disclose what salaries are. Like, why is it so tough to pay a woman the same salary as you're paying a guy to do the same job? I just don't understand that. I used to have these debates at, when I was at Fox and I'm like, because people would say to me, they are paid the same. And I'd be like, no, they're not. 
And, and so, you know, we need to keep pushing forward. But one of the biggest things is to get to our boys young so that they um, so that they will help women along the way. Men still rule the world at 96 percent of all CEO jobs are men. So we need them. We need them to help us to, yes. to, to change their policies that I'm fighting for at my nonprofit, Lift Our Voices, um, to know that these silencing mechanisms push out women and people of color, the exact people they want to retain. We need men. So that's my olive branch to men yeah. to join to join my mission. As far as Abby Grossberg, you know, look, I've, I've corresponded with her. Um, I think she's the next iteration of Gretchen Carlson. Hmm. You know, I think she probably learned a lot from my story and and what I did, which I can't talk about, but she probably knows. Um, and so I, you know, I I applaud her immensely because I know exactly what it feels like to come forward and to jump off that cliff as she did. And even though it was six and a half years after me, as you said, Jill, it still can be a career killer. And um, we've made great strides, but I, I give that same advice still, Jill, that you said, I, I, when people reach out to me, what should I do? It's such a personal choice because we haven't yet gotten over the hump of not penalizing people who have the courage to come forward. And so Abby, you know, again, is a person who put herself out there. And I guess it remains to be seen how much evidence she has. You know, I think she said she has 90 recordings. Um, so that's a lot of evidence to, to sift through. And, and all I can say is that um, I support her and I know what it feels like. And she, um, she has said the same about me. So I think that um, you know, it'd be an interesting conversation sometime to have uh, Abby and I sit down on a panel together. It would be great. That would, yeah. Victor that would and I awesome. offer you that platform. Um, <laughs> we'll reach out to her and see if before she signs any NDA, she can. <laughs> oh, I don't want her to. No, no, no. Let's look. The new advice is you don't have to sign an NDA. The company's still going to pay you. Trust me. And, and actually, at my nonprofit, we are going to prove that with research this year because NDAs have been banned in the state of New Jersey for the last four years, except for trade secrets. And we are conducting a study to see if it's had any impact on being able to settle cases. And our preliminary research is showing us unanimously from plaintiff's attorneys that it has had absolutely no bearing. Wow. Um, yes, it's, it's surprising because originally the plaintiff's bar was against this legislation because they thought they weren't going to be able to settle cases. But our philosophy is that's the old school way of looking at these things. Why should we, you know, why should we silence the person who probably won't work again anyway? So really you're paying them because they can't work anymore. Right. You're not paying them necessarily for their silence. And by the way, a lot of people don't want to tell their story, but at least you give the power back to the person to make that decision. Yeah. And what yeah. we're finding yeah. in New Jersey is that companies are still settling and that the dollar amount has not changed at all. So we advocate for do not sign the NDA. And to lawyers, we, we need to educate you too. Don't push your clients to sign the NDAs. We continue to try to eradicate NDAs state by state. I mean, we're in this kind of era where- Potential plaintiffs. Sorry? How do you reach out to potential plaintiffs? How, how do you give them advice and their yeah, lawyers' we advice? Have, we, have, we have lots of them that uh, come to our website, liftourvoices.org, and they reach out to us by email that way. Um, and, and we, you know, we can help align them with lawyers if they need uh, legal help. We can, we try to give as, as much advice as we can, but we can't get to everyone. Um, and so that's why I like to do podcasts like this, where I can, you know, I can tell them like, and they can read my book, Be Fierce, which was really the first educational guide about how to deal with these kinds of issues in the workplace and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And chapter four is really my 12 point plan in my playbook. Um, I'll give you the top three. Before you do anything, don't go to HR. Uh, before you do anything, call a lawyer, even just for a short period of time to see if you have a case. That's number one. Um, you probably don't even know if you have an NDA or an arbitration clause, because if you do, you're screwed. Because you're gonna go into this secret chamber called arbitration and nobody's ever gonna hear about your case. I had an arbitration clause. The only reason you know about my story is because my lawyers were brilliant and came up with a strategy to sue Roger Ailes personally to try to circumvent my arbitration clause. That's the only reason that we public. Um, so talk so to a lawyer. Um, number two, evidence, 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 and bring it home. Um, and number three, tell at least one other person 
because we still live in a he said, she said environment where you may or may not be believed. But check out my book for, for more advice and visit us at liftourvoices.org. And we will put both your website and your book on our show notes so that Thank people you. can get your book and can reach you through the website and see what they can learn. Because I know there are a lot of women who are in depressed circumstances because they are being subjected to this. It's hard for me to believe that it is still going on. And, and things are better, but in some ways they're worse because now it's illegal. When I first encountered this, it wasn't even illegal. And now people are quieter about doing this. So it's harder to fight. They used to say things to my face that they would never say now because it's not legal. So um, any help that they can get from your book or your website um, and from your not-for-profit, I think are really important. Um, what are some of the We're allegations in Abby's lawsuit? Well, I don't have it in front of me, um, so I don't. I don't really want to speak like I like I understand completely her lawsuit. I've only seen what you know the interviews that she has done, but it, you know it's my understanding that that she it's kind of a twofold lawsuit. Um, she's claiming that she was um, forced to make up information about the Dominion case, right? Um, and then the other side of it is that she says she faced a toxic workplace environment. So um, I guess that's all in the same lawsuit, Jill, I, I think, that those claims it are is. It, and, and you're right. It is basically the lies of Fox News and the sexual misconduct at, at Fox News. So that it is both of those wrapped in one. Um, and she basically said that female workers at Fox are verbally violated almost daily. It's a poisonous entrenched patriarchy that runs the place. And um, I mean, that must have made you feel in some ways good that someone else was now speaking up and, you know, taking action against a corporation that did so wrong by you. That had, How did you feel when you saw about the lawsuit? Yeah, I just, I, I, like I said, I, I knew exactly what she was going through and I was so proud of her. But trust me, that's she's her case has been extremely public, but there have there have been other you know, hypothetically, there have been other cases that have been much more much more secret. Um, and, and I also want to say that you know Fox is Fox is different because we're talking about the lies that they now tell. But this is happening in every business all across America. You know, the, the sexual misconduct part. This is not just this is not just at Fox. This is, you know, this is our firefighters, our police officers, our teachers, our bankers, our lawyers, our, our members of the military. I mean, this this epidemic is everywhere. Um, it just happened to be that at Fox there were they had other problems going on at the same time. But uh, this is it's not like Fox is the only place where there there's horrible behavior towards women. And there's so much of what you have done and, and what Abby Grossberg did um, that I think inspires a lot of young people. I'm wondering what you hope younger generations take from what we're seeing right now with more people speaking up, with more people kind of saying, you know, we, are, we aren't going to be silent. What do you hope young people learn from this? Yeah, I mean, they are the important part of the next generation to not accept these silencing mechanisms. The number one thing is we're trying to normalize young people who start new jobs to ask questions about what they're actually signing so that we can normalize people saying, do you have NDAs? Do you have a forced arbitration clause? Just like they would ask, what's my vacation time and what's my paternity leave, right? right. Because the more we normalize this, the more you are not an outlier when you ask that question because they'll probably just ditch you and go to the next person, right? Um, at the same time, uh, we are trying to educate young people about these issues. We did a big Know Your Rights campaign on our arbitration law a couple of months ago. Um, it's essential to educate young people, all people, but especially young people, as they come into the workforce because they have no idea what they're signing. And by the time they experience something bad, it's too late because now they go to HR because they think they're doing the right thing, right? But it, keep in mind, HR works for the company, not you. They get their paychecks from the company. They've done, they've done an amazing PR job to make us think they're there to help us. And, and there are probably tons of great HR executives out there, but they are there to protect the company. 
not the person who's coming forward. And so let's say you come and complain and you've signed an NDA on your first day of work and a forced arbitration clause, you're done. You, you, you have already silenced yourself before the thing actually happened to you. How crazy is that? And yet that's so you're legal. Saying, so so or is what you're saying that young people don't have to sign those NDAs basically? No. And I'm, okay. I'm asking people. Yeah. I'm asking people to rise up and say that they're not going to sign them because the more people that we get doing that, the more we normalize it, and the more that it subtly pushes pushes companies. You know, one of the things we're working on at Lift Our Voices is to mobilize business school students, which we'll be doing this year. Yeah, yeah. Mobilize yeah. mobilize them to not want to work at institutions that silence their people. Um, but the Ivy League law schools got together about four years ago and decided, the students there decided that they weren't gonna work at law firms that had forced arbitration clauses. And guess what happened? Yeah. 350 law firms took out forced arbitration clauses because they could not hire the top law school graduates. So we're hoping to, to mimic that now um, for business school students too. So we're, be, we're becoming very active with young people. We believe that they are the answer to this horrendous epidemic on so many fronts, mm -hmm. but educating them on this is key because you, they just don't have any idea what they're signing. When I graduated yeah. law school. Um, it was a year of activism um, and my class wanted to work for the government, for civil rights organizations, and law firms had to like double their starting salary in order to get anyone from the Ivy League schools, I was at Columbia, to get us to even interview with law yes. firms. And so it was really, um, you know, it did have an impact when people were saying, nope, I'm not coming to work for you. I'm going to go do something good for the world. And in that case, it only led to higher salaries which did attract some people. Um, I mean, law school loans are pretty hefty. And so people, well, maybe I'll do it for a few years, um, but then end up staying. So I'm hoping that you're right and that people will rise up together and stop this. But I, I wanna ask you about one of my favorite things, which I have been working for since 1976, and that is the Equal Rights Amendment. And I cannot believe that women are still not part of the Constitution. We do not have equal rights. We have some penumbra of rights afforded to us under other things that are being eaten away by the current Supreme Court. And the Senate took it up recently um, and it failed. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Is, is your organization at all looking at what could be done to pass the Equal Rights Amendment and make women for the first time part of the recognized constitutional protections of our country? No, it's, it's crazy and it's a great question, Jill. And of course, we, we partner with organizations who are working on that 100%. Um, we, we fully support that and we, will, we would do whatever it would take to try to move that forward. And I would certainly be you know, able to give advice about the bipartisan coalitions that I was able to form because that's the only way you're going to get it done. That's just the truth right there. Um, but I, you know, I would say at Lift Our Voices, we are incredibly laser focused on our issues. While we support all women moving forward, um, we need to be focused on our issues on a day-to-day -day basis because that's what we do. And we're the only organization in the world that is focusing on these two silencing mechanisms. Um, but, but I hear what you're saying about, it just, it, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier that, um, it's unbelievable that women are not paid the same amount for the same job yeah. and that we can't pass, that we cannot pass this into law. I guess I would just point to, you know, lobbying organizations that have tremendous amount of power. Some of them were working against me. Um, and, and that's the only thing I could point to because I can't understand why people would not want others to be equal. And I, the other thing I would just say is that it's going to be hard to pass it in the house right now because, um, you know, the house is Republican controlled and they tend to, probably not agree with that issue. Well, I certainly so you, will try to reach out to you to find out about the bipartisan coalitions you worked with because the ERA coalition certainly needs some bipartisan help to get what should be an easy thing passed. I can't believe anyone would fight against women being in the constitution and having mm -hmm. equal rights to everyone else. 
and yet here we are. We do not have yeah. it, and we need it. Um, and I hope that President Biden will come to realize that he has the power to tell the attorney general to start enforcing it, that it does have the right number of votes from states and can become the 28th Amendment. But um, we'll take this offline and try to see if there's some way that we can benefit from your work in this other field to get to the right, uh, I believe in bipartisanship, that's uh, something that both Victor and I uh, we met when we were running as Biden delegates yes. because we both believed that bipartisanship is the way to accomplish things because we both believe that compromise is how you win. You never get 100%. If you do, it's not a good deal and it's going to come back and bite you at some point. So um, we're, we're definitely with you on this for sure. And we're definitely supportive of your goals through your organization. Um, I think the Speak Out Act and ending forced arbitration are very significant accomplishments and I congratulate you for that. Thank you. And yes, can, and it's, and can it's you talk so more important. about what you're doing in Congress yeah. with Congress to, to get more yeah. passed? Well, so so our strategy, Victor, was to, to, actually what Jill was just saying is that we actually had some organizations, I think, that were upset at us that we weren't trying to go for the whole shebang at once, you know? Because as an, as an organization that lived our voices, we believe that no protected class should be silenced. So it's not just for sexual misconduct. We're also fighting for gender, race, LGBTQ+, age, disability discrimination. Um, and so, you know, some organizations wanted us to go in and, and, and try to do all of that in one bill. And, and I just understood after covering politics for so long as a journalist that, that there was no way I was gonna get both parties to come together on this massive bill. So the strategy had to be, from my perspective, to kind of take a bite out of the apple. And then once you would find success with that, hopefully, then you could go back for more. And that's proving to be true so far because we were able to pass the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act, which is a mouthful. Um, on March 3rd, the president signed it. I'm looking at a photo right here in my office where after um, I introduced him, he handed me the pen. And there were so many other survivors there that day. And it was a momentous occasion. Um, but then we immediately went to work on NDAs because we had already had the tough conversations with this bipartisan coalition of offices, right? We had already gotten them on board to say, you know what, we shouldn't force women and men into silence with arbitration when they're sexually harassed or assaulted at work. Okay. Then we come back and say, well, NDAs are also the second evil. That's how we silence people in the second way. Could we have a conversation about that? And within a span of eight months, we were able to get the bill written, get enough supporters of it, get it through the House, get it through the Senate, and the president signed it on December 7th, 2022. So now we're back for more. Um, actually, in, in two weeks, we are going to be announcing another protected class that we are introducing bipartisan legislation on to amend the arbitration law that passed. So the beauty of this is that We've already done the hard work of writing that law that amends the Arbitration Act from 1925, right? Now, when we want to add other protected classes, we just have to amend that law. We don't have to go back and start from scratch. And so I'm really excited to say that I can't say what the protected class is, but um, in two weeks, we will be announcing that in, in D.C. The bill will be introduced and... Um, you know, we, we're aiming to get this done for every protected class um, and we're, we're not going to stop until until we get there. But that the strategy was to take a bite out of the apple to come back for more. And that's proving to be working thus far. We'll look so forward important. to hearing and, that announcement yes. and publicizing it. Thank um, you. Can't wait. So two weeks, you said? Yes. We'll look Wonderful. forward to that. Thank you. And, and where's, what's the best social media platform to follow you all on? Or where, where can we kind of stay up to date with all this? Yeah. Um, well, I'm at Gretchen Carlson on Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, et cetera, um, Facebook. And Lift Our Voices is uh, Lift Our Voices on, on all of those platforms. And, um, yeah, we just really encourage people to understand what we're doing because everyone has a stake in this. One of the issues is that people don't – they don't think they need to care about this until something bad happens to them. Like I said, it's too late then. So 
we need to try and raise awareness so that people understand that being silenced is wrong from the get-go on your first day of the job. You should not be silenced. And one-third of all Americans, if you can believe this, one-third of all Americans sign NDAs on their first day of work. And by next year, 2024, 84% of all American workers will be under forced arbitration. 84% of us. It's just like exploded. Guess how many workers in 1991 were under forced arbitration? 2%. What? Yes. Wow. And what happened? Now, Jill, you're going to remember this. What happened in 1991? The Anita Hill hearings. Oh, my God. And it's my belief, it's my belief that while companies then decided, you know, oh, my gosh, we've got to provide training for our people because sexual harassment, we now know what it is. And we got to make sure it doesn't happen here. That was the good side of it. I also think they got together and said, we can't have an Anita Hill here. So how do Uh we deal with that? And that's when arbitration exploded and NDAs exploded because a bunch of really smart lawyers you know, figured out how to protect companies. And now it's just become boilerplate language in con- in contracts, so much so that by next year, 84% of us will be under forced arbitration unless I stop them. And so that's why we need to educate everyone about this. And you need to care about this before you have something that happens to you. And if you're lucky enough to never have anything happen to you, you still want to be an advocate because it could be your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your children, yeah, yeah. who are going to face some sort of discrimination at work. And that, that's why we all need to, to care about this. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, we always like to end on a final question um, and ask our guests for advice for um, young people. But I, I want to tailor this specifically to um, young women and young men, like you mentioned, who are entering the workforce and perhaps journalism in particular as they enter the workforce. What should they know? Um, what do you have to say to them? Uh, well, on journalism, you're not going to be paid anything at the at the beginning because so many people want to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I always say the most important thing is to have an internship before you decide to go down that career path. I've always taken on interns because I, I especially women, because I want to, to help them grow. And I got so much help that I want to give that back and pay it forward. And oftentimes after uh, an internship, a lot of minds have been changed because you know, maybe they think they want to be on air and then they're like, you know, I'd actually like to be behind the scenes. Or maybe they thought they wanted to be behind the scenes and then they have so much fun out in the field reporting. But the number one thing that I've heard over the years from young people is that, oh my gosh, this is not just a glamorous job. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. This is not about hair and makeup. Okay. This is about killing yourself, not getting paid anything, being willing to sacrifice your life to move every couple of years, because to be promoted, you have to move to a different city. You can't just move up to the 15th floor. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of sacrifice uh, involved in journalism, especially. And, and especially now as, you know, TV news is becoming more archaic um, as our newspapers. It's just it's tougher to prevail, I think, um, in these fields, although I still recommend that people do it because we need good, honest, fair minded journalists um, out there. And then just in general, as I said earlier, just really look at your contract. And even if you band together with like three or four people and go to HR and say, why do we have these silencing mechanisms? You know, it, it can make a difference. And I'll, I'll end on my favorite quote, which is very inspiring to not only young people, but everyone. And it happens to be anonymous, which is one woman can make a difference, but together we rock the world. And that's my message about everything that I do every morning when I wake up. You know, I may be one woman. I need to clone myself on many days. But if I can inspire people to come together, we will rock the world. We already have rocked the world and we will continue to do so. So um, I hope that's an inspirational message for, for yeah. anyone. Well, it's the well, perfect you certainly way to have end rocked this. the world and we appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you for your time with us today. Thanks. And keep up your work. It's so important. And I love that you mentioned that this is not a woman's issue. This is a workforce issue. And Victor and his male colleagues must be involved in this as much as the women are. Otherwise, it will never end. You're so right. And uh, and so, Victor, extending the olive branch and, and you have a big yes. social media platform. And, you know, so get the message out there to, to young people Absolutely. to get involved with these issues. And appreciate you allowing me to talk about this. 
Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Gretchen. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that was such a fascinating episode. Um, you know, we covered a lot of ground from, I th- and, and I think for NDAs and, and while we're on this topic, I recently got done watching The Dropout and that was the first show that really kind of showed me the level of suppression and fear and silencing that NDAs can do. And so for anyone who hasn't watched The Dropout, you definitely should because the employees there had to sign many, many NDAs and it kind of talks about just kind of what that did to the employees um, uh, against this kind of culture of, of suppression and fear. And um, so it's a really important subject and I think Gretchen is doing an amazing job raising awareness about this. I think what's important people in school now think that everything is equalized because yeah. in school things pretty much are. I promise you in the workplace they are not. And that's what you need to keep in mind. You really have to be um, aware of what's going around. And you have to learn the strategies for responding. And it's not the same in every case. Sometimes it is direct confrontation. Sometimes it's ignoring it. And that's hard to say. People go, no, you can never ignore it. Yeah, sometimes you can and you work silently and quietly to change the attitude of your individual boss. And that's the best way. Sometimes humor works. You just have to pick the right strategy for the person and for the goal that you're trying to reach. And keep that in mind as you face these issues in the workplace, because they are there. And until there's an equal rights amendment, women will be subject to legal impediments. So um, if you can get involved in the fight to pass the equal rights amendment, to have it recognized as the 28th Amendment to our Constitution. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the perfect way to end this. Uh, Get involved, get in the fight. For all of uh, my young male friends, get in the fight too. Anyone who's a man, get in the fight. This is so important. It takes all of us uh, across generations, across gender. This is uh, for all of us who uh, who are workers, who are in the workforce. Um, This is relevant to all of us. So thank you everyone for watching or listening to this episode of uh, iGen Politics with Gretchen Carlson. We hope you enjoyed it and we will be back next week for another episode uh, right here on YouTube dot com slash politicon or if you're listening to this wherever you follow your podcasts uh thank you all for listening and we will see you next week